When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Thanks for joining me, Ryan. Pleasure. Hey. Uh, Ryan, just had Yo. a big birthday. You know, I did. You did? You're, you turned 34. Four. 34, 34 years old. Yeah. Happy birthday again. Thank Wish you. happy birthday on YouTube or uh, write a review of the show today and uh, include Ryan if you, you want, you know? The end of a demographic. Yeah. Uh, this this episode is, is dedicated to my good buddy Preston. Preston Christensen. He was a uh, 16-year-old... Uh, boy that I met at the Ronald McDonald house. I met him and his mom and we became good friends. And, you know, I, I watched him go through chemo and I watched him go through high and lows and um, ultimately uh, cancer, cancer beat him. And uh, uh, it was, it's, it's been really tough. And I just wanted to say without getting emotional that uh, he meant a lot to me and he made me a better person. And um, he affected a lot of people. Uh, in a good way, and uh, so this this episode is dedicated to Preston. Um, also, if you want to follow us on the Instagram and Twitter, uh, Ryan, what? How do they do that? Uh, they go to at inside of you pod on Twitter, at inside of you podcast on Facebook and Instagram. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, please leave a review; it really helps. Go on YouTube; you can watch clips as well and old episodes. Um, you could also get really cool merch at the Inside of You online store. And you can get Sunspin merch, the band merch, at sunspin.com. You can also book me um, for Zooms, and I'm on the Cameo thing, all that. And most importantly, um, Patreon. Mm-hmm. Patreon is a wonderful uh, – thank God for Patreon. All my patrons have uh, really supported the podcast and given back in so many ways. And if you want to support the podcast, join Patreon. Become a patron of mine. I'll message you right away. It's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash inside of you. I really appreciate all your love and all your support. We'll read the top tier patrons at the end of the episode. Right now, this is a good buddy of mine, Steve Agee. Um, Stand-up comic, actor. uh, He was in a band. He was in a punk band. But you know him from Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, which is blowing up. And uh, he deserves all of it. He's such a great guy. And I just, uh, you know, when your friends get some success, that makes you happy. It really does, and I always was always rooting for this guy. Just such a talented guy, a treat to be around. And uh, when Peacemaker hit, I just was like, "Yes, it's so nice to see that." Yeah, good things happen to good people; they do. Um, so, without further ado, let's just do it. Let's just—I think you're going to really find this episode interesting, even if you don't know Steve Ag. Uh, let me know what you think. Let's get inside of Steve Ag. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. You asked me about the the thing in Escape from New York posters in my room. The thing in particular, but yeah, I didn't even realize that was Escape from New York. From the yeah. angle that I'm sitting. 
Yeah, and you're you're wondering how I got it autographed. So I know Oliver Hudson, which you know Kurt raised him, Kurt Russell. Yeah, and uh, he, he was on the podcast, and he made the mistake of saying, "Oh yeah," I go, "Do your friends ever ask for autographs?" He's like, "No." I go, "Really? They never ask you for Kurt's autograph or Goldie?" He's like, "No, they don't." I go, "He goes, why? Do you do you want one?" I go. Fuck yeah, if you're asking. And he goes, whatever you want, whatever you want. How many things did you have him autograph? I had him sign the thing, Escape from New York. Uh, what's the overboard with Goldie? Oh, overboard? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's somewhere. But it took a while. It took a while to get those. Like I had to harass Oliver for a while to get those. I felt kind of bad, but I was like, at the end of the day, I don't give a shit. As Do you have as people sign your bobbleheads? No, I don't have that. That would be, that. if I got into that, it would be starting to get weird. Yeah. Right, Rosenbaum's having him sign bobbleheads. Yeah, I already think it's a you know people th people think it's a little weird that I get autographs. I don't think it's weird. Did you already have the posters, or did you buy them once you found out you could get them signed? That one, those two, I found out that he would sign them. I spent three hundred fifty dollars on each of them, original posters. <laughs> I wanted the original. They look but like, great. come on, it's Kurt Russell. You got fucking Kurt Russell up there. So anyway, I like it. And now you have it, and then what? <laughs> Well, you can get uh, what's his name to sign him now, um, John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Oh, wouldn't that be great? I've been trying to get him on the podcast. You know, John. No, but you know, the guys in Tenacious D, um, John Kaneski and John Spiker, who are the backing band for Tenacious D. Yeah, I don't know them. They 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 tour with John Carpenter when he does his music. Are you serious? Have you seen that? That's amazing. No, oh, he does all the hits. Dun, 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 the Halloween Escape from New York. Boom, boom. Escape from New York. Yeah. Boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom. That was so he just plays that those two chords for an hour and a half. Boom, boom. Yeah, and boom, then the boom. rest of the band just wails and <laughs> just wail. Yeah. Oh my God, Ag Steve Ag. Uh, you know what I love? I've known you for a while. Yeah. How long have I known you? Probably since I met James. Uh, probably over at Sean Gunn's Sunset yeah. Sunday. So probably. 10, 12, 12, 12 years, years yeah. something like that yeah and talk about like someone who you've gone from i'd say rock bottom or low 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 sure you've been in low places in your life and now boom people would say oh look he's overnight number success. one show in the world is it the number one show in the world it is yeah wait a minute peacemaker on hbo max is the number one show in the world now tv show yeah how does it feel? <laughs> it's it it doesn't it register. Doesn't. <laughs> no, James posted like a you know a deadline clip of that, and I was like, it doesn't feel like it's the number one show because I'm still hiding from COVID in my house, and <laughs> anytime I go out, I'm wearing a mask, so it's not like anyone would recognize me. So it's like, okay, that's great. I mean, it's good. We'll hopefully get a second season. So yeah, I don't know how we wouldn't. Do you want to get recognized? Are you looking for honest? Because a lot of actors say, no, no, I don't. I like obscurity. I don't. I like obscurity, but every now and then if someone, like if you go into a Starbucks and you buy coffee and, you know, the guy will write dye beard on your, there's <laughs> a reference to Peacemaker. Peacemaker. But if they, you know, every now and then it's like, oh, just because, you know, people are watching the show. Yeah, that's true. I mean. I mean, it's it's crazy because you have like worked in this business for a long time. I mean, you've like you've done stand up. Yeah. I mean, you're a musician, which I I've never seen you play. Yeah. What do you play? Bass. Yeah. Do you still play? 
Sometimes. I have all the stuff and I just tinker around in my office. But you're pretty good, though. You've been in bands. I have been in bands. Do you want to do it again? I don't think so. Why? With bands, you have to rely on other people. <laughs> that's I that's came to so LA. true, though. I came to L.A. to be in a band. I went to the Musicians Institute to study theory. Oh, so you're good. I was good. I it's, think I'm really rusty. My fingers are weak and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) fingers are weak. Um, But yeah, I I came to LA. I was playing in a band. And once I got here, I was like, Jesus, there's like a trillion bands in LA. What was the band called? The Grazers. The Grazers. Yeah. Like where did that come from? I don't know. I don't remember whose idea it was. We made shirts. It was like a, a bull with a ring in its nose. You know, like grazing like a cow. And you would play. You'd play out a lot. Our first gig ever was the Roxy or the Whiskey. Were you nervous? No, I I think I was really cocky. Really? I was like, these songs are fucking great. Let's. (laughs) Let's So when I was in college, my roommate was just would just stick around at parties with like a cover band with his friends who were also in school with us. And then just like in the movie, what's the the movie where Tom Hanks manages a band? That That, thing you do? The thing you do, yeah. So much like that where the drummer breaks his, Giovanni Ribisi breaks his wrist and then uh, what's his name takes over as drummer and then the band takes off. So their bass player broke his arm and Tim, my roommate, was like, Hey man, you want to get just come jam with us? We we usually rehearse on Sunday, and I was like, sure. And I went, and we just started dicking around, and we just started writing songs, like quick, like punk, like two minute songs. So you like punk? That was kind of like the band, kind of, of yeah, punky. yeah, like Buzzcocks type Buzz stuff. Cox, sure. Um, and like in one day, we wrote like four or five, just really dumb, quick, but fun songs. And I was like, we should be playing. We should be playing. What what are we doing? <laughs> I was like that fast, that fast. Cause we had enough covers. And then I was like, we should be playing somewhere. And so I went back to the dorm and I got out the LA weekly and I started just looking at clubs and calling clubs going, Jesus, leaving messages going, Hey, uh, my band would love to play at your club. And most of the places did not call back. The first guy that called back was a guy I'll never forget his name, Mike Gian Greco. He was like a promoter or a booker. Right. He called me back. He's like, "Can you play at the Whiskey uh, in three weeks?" I was like, "Sure, yeah." And then I called all the guys and I was like, "Well, we have a show at the Whiskey," and they were all like, "Uh, what?" <laughs> and then it was like every day we started rehearsing. You just rehearsed every day. You got really tight in three more, weeks. More songs, yeah. And what was the response? His thing was like, can you get people to come to the show? Right. Still to this day, I think that's the thing. If you you go in there, you have to bring X amount of people to see your show. And we brought like every one of our friends and it was packed. And it was, and the guy was like, yeah, I booked the the Roxy too. You want to do the, like, so we were playing a bunch and it was And you were getting a name at all? Not really. No, just playing and enjoying it. Locally in Riverside, we would, a bunch of people would come see us. Were you thinking this was going somewhere? I was, yeah. I was like, this is it. I'm going to be a rock star. And then I moved to LA and I was like, I'm never going to be a rock star. Because you have to, you. it's it's not just you. It's like, you have to have it. Your 
singer, your guitar player, your drum, they all have to have, you know, the motivation to get up. And, and these guys were all, you know, Tim went on to be a pastor or singer. The wow. guitar player, Thomas became a, a nurse. He lives in like Tennessee, I think. And Nate, I think is a lawyer or drummer. Like they all had their own. This was for fun. Right. And but you, I, you didn't think that way. No, I was like, I don't know what else I'm going to do. I was an art major. I was How like, old are you at this point? 21. And where'd you go to school? Loma Linda University. It's in w- Riverside. Riverside. And I was like, this beats pretending to be a painter <laughs> and lie my way through painting class trying to, you know, right. justify the critiques of my paintings, which but- were horrible. <laughs> I just did abstract because I was like, I can lie my way through this. Right. But you're a really good photographer. You've worked at that. Yeah, but that wasn't until it came way later. In my 30s when digital became a thing. I I had no patience for film. Yeah, and you weren't really acting till what, 2007 or something? I had done some commercials in like late 90s, just a few. You were more of a behind the scenes guy. Yeah, I worked in post-production. A Kimmel? You worked on Kimmel? That was 2003. From 90s till like 2003, I was working post-production on Real World, Road Rules, Osborne's, Temptation Island. Survivor? Joe Millionaire, not no, Survivor. Not sur- oh, you were. Um, but tons of reality shows. That's how and I And what were you just doing behind the scenes stuff, like editing and like assistant editing and assistant story editing and logging videotapes and did you hate it or did you really like it no i hated it but it's <laughs> it's one of those jobs you know it's like the mob where it's like once you're in it's like i'm sick of working on the osbournes i know a guy that works on temptation island i'm gonna go there and... <laughs> really you can just hop jump ship oh, yeah yeah everyone does it yeah they just get tired of something and they move on to the next yeah. reality show but when did you say you know, because at, at that point in your life, you're not really playing music as much anymore, right? Mm-mm. And now you're working behind the scenes. Were yeah. you thinking this is going to be my life, working behind the scenes? I still didn't know, man. I was I was at Groundlings too. I was taking ca- classes at Groundlings in the li- mid and late nineties, just for fun. No, I wanted to be on SNL. This was when the band stuff was dying. Like I came to LA in '95, and quickly the band just broke up and i was the only one my girlfriend broke up with me and i was just living in la by myself didn't know anybody and i started dating a girl who's taking classes at the groundlings this was like 96 right and i went to a show and i was like what what this is what i should be doing who'd you see at the show do you remember anybody who made it big um i think Mindy Sterling was in that show Mindy who you know is Frau Farbissna in the Austin Powers movies right um I think Mike Mike Hitchcock, who you would know from like a bunch of I do of, know that name, yeah. You know, but not like Will Farrell or anybody like that. No, in fact, when I started taking classes, I remember one of my first classes, the teacher saying, Oh yeah, like two of our two of our own have just gone over to SNL and it was Will Farrell and Anna Gastar. Or Will Farrell and Sherry. Sherry O'Terry. Yeah. Yeah. 
So or maybe you, all three of them. So you had, I don't want to say delusions of grandeur, but like you, you thought you think you're going to be a rock star. You're a bass player. You're like, I'm, I, I've got this. You're, you got a confidence. You're cocky. You said you're cocky. And now you're in groundlings. Are you having that same kind of cockiness that you're like, I'm going to fucking be on SNL or I'm going to do this? Oh yeah. I feel like most people, <laughs> there's two types of people that go to the groundlings. Ones who are like convinced they're going to be on SNL. I want to go to SNL. That's it. You're not even thinking Mad TV. You're like, I'm going for SNL. Yeah, now who wants to go Mad TV? Or, I mean, at the time, <laughs> sure, I would sure have are. loved to. Or people who are just trying to come out of their shells or yes. who are like bosses at, at, at an office and they need to be able to express themselves. So they want to just kind of do improv so they can think on their feet and, right. and company meetings and stuff. <laughs> I was like... And I remember when I was like 18 or 19, I called the Groundlings office. This is from Riverside because I knew they had a bunch of people on SNL who were from Groundlings or Second City. And I wasn't going to go to Chicago or Toronto. So I called the Groundlings Theater, just cold called them. At like I was probably 19. And a woman answered and she's like, Groundlings Theater. And I go, Hey, how do I, I, I want to be in your theater. I want to be in your company. <laughs> like, she's like, okay, well, um, you have to sign up for classes and, and you start at the beginner level. And I did that. I took it. I did too. And she goes, and she's like, so you, there's four levels of classes. And I go, what? I go, how much are these? And she's like, eh, like $250 for six, something like that. And I go, oh, so you guys are a scam. <laughs> I literally, I was like, oh, so you guys are scamming people out of their money. I go, uh, no, thanks. I can figure this out on my own. And I just hung up. And it wasn't to like <laughs> almost like eight or nine years later that I went and I was like, oh, oh yeah, all so these they people. They had to do this. They all had to pay. Yeah. Lorraine Newman went through class, <laughs> the groundlings. And like, Jesus. Well, she didn't go through. She was a founding member. But like, right. you know, I just read something uh, in. Judd Apatow's book. He has a new book. You read the old one, right? Or what was that called? Sick. Sick in the head. Sick in the head. Yeah. yeah. Sicker in the head. So I got a preview, and I was reading the Will Ferrell uh, interview, and he just like he was at USC, and he was you know he didn't really know what he said. I'm going to try comedy. Three years at Groundlings SNL. Yeah. For someone, he, yeah. He, he, and he had no fear because his dad was like, he's like, you know, what, what, I don't know, I've never really done comedy. He's like, well. You know what? Most people, you'll, you'll probably fail at it. but So why not do it? Why yeah. not? You'll probably fail. You'll find something else to do. Yeah. So he figured, fuck it. And, and that was kind of his mentality. Yeah. But what were you doing? Were you, were you thinking, I'm going to be somebody here? So I never had a plan. All I knew was when I was about nine years old, I got for either Christmas or for my birthday, they're both fairly close, I got a transistor radio that had a mono earplug. And when my parents would make me go to bed at night, I would listen to KMET uh, 94.7, which was the the rock station in all of Southern California. They were syndicated. Well, now it's 94. The wave. The way. No, it used to be the shit. And I still still like it. And Sunday nights, they had Dr. Demento. Um, And I would lay in bed listening to Dr. Demento as a nine and 10 year old kid. And it's how I was exposed to Carlin, to Weird Al, to Cheech and Chong. Just every aspect of comedy, like 
from parody songs to stand up to sketches. It was all there on Dr. Demento. And I wanted to be a comedian and also I wanted to be an actor. And this was at like 10. I knew that at really? like 10 and 11. I just didn't know how to do it. I was, I grew up in a, a family where there were, there was nobody in the arts. Nobody was funny. Nobody. <laughs> Everyone was a doctor or, you know, in business or something. And I, I thought you had to be born into that world. And so I was like, just, I never made a plan. I just knew I wanted to do it. Like John Ritter was my idol. Wow. John Ritter and uh, George Carlin. That was it. Those were the gold standards for me. And it wasn't until I got to LA and I was like, oh, I can be in the groundlings. I, I just have to go through classes and prove myself. And that's, it was really the groundlings in the late nineties where I was like, I think I can actually do what I wanted to do. You know, it's so weird because knowing you, I don't think of you as someone back then who was just so cocky because you're such a humble dude. You're so quiet. You're kind of, you're just fun. You're smart. People like to be around you. I think that's why, you know, your friendship with James and all of us just yeah. kind of blossomed. Yeah. But I don't picture this guy who's just like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to like, you were a bit of a go-getter. I did it very lazily. Like I was <laughs> explain. I had to, I wasn't actively going into these. I was like finding them. Like, you know, I went to high school and then when I graduated, all my friends were going to college. I didn't want to go to college. My parents wanted me to, all my friends were there. So I was like, I guess I got to go to college. And all my friends were at this place, Loma Linda University, because they wanted to be doctors. It was primarily a place where you study, you know, pre-med. Right. And so I went wanting to be a marine biologist i know i'm all over the place dude i wanted i was i figured since i don't know how to become an actor or a comedian i'll be a marine biologist because i spent a lot of time you know we had a cabin on catalina island when i was a kid and so we would boat back and forth i spent a lot of time in the ocean scuba diving snorkeling i was like i could be a marine biologist they don't have a program at Loma Linda, but I could go get all my biology prerequisites and then I can transfer to like Long Beach State or something. And you did that initially? I was a biology major my first year of college and I failed every single class hard. Why? Because like, it's biology, dude. They don't start. <laughs> I was like, I wanted to swim with fish and like. <laughs> hold on to a dolphin's fin and get dragged through the water. That's what I thought marine biology was. Just go was. to the aquarium, for God's yeah. sake. I didn't know that you, to do that shit, you, you have to, know to start off on the cellular level of biology. Oh, doesn't I feel like they should start you off on a larger level, like, this is a mammal. It breathes. It has milk. You know, this is a fish. It, you know. Right. And then work your way down as you get older in school you you can retain that kind of shit and you figure okay i i want to keep doing this i want to learn the cellular stuff not like here you go 18 year old learn about mitochondria and <laughs> cilia yeah silly <laughs> i was just like nope i checked out i i would sit and look at the teacher talking and not retain one fucking word out of their mouth 
So what's going on? I would your sit and, and make jokes in my head. I had a teacher. His name was Jose. Everyone called him by his... I, in my head, kept calling him Hose B. And I was like, <laughs> I couldn't let go of comedy. Like, and, uh. and I failed my first semester. And then my, my best friend, Sam, was at school there. And he was a photography major because they had an art department. He's like, dude, just be an art major. It's fucking easy. He's like, I've seen you doodle and you've, you know. And I was like, yeah, I'll be an art major. And so I just got an art degree. Really? Was that easy? Super easy. To get an art degree. Yeah. The hardest part was I still had to do like basic classes, you know, like an English class. and ugh. Yeah, stuff. that. So you, you got by. I got by. You got it should have been four years. I did it in like five or six years. Yeah, I did four and a half or something. Um, yeah. But yeah. But while I was in college, that's when the band thing happened. It's when my mom gave me a clipping that she found in the local paper of like open mic night for stand-up comedy. Your she, mom. My mom. She knew I loved comedy. She's like, you should do this. And you did that? And I did it. And Wait it was, a minute. So you, you, she gives you this little clip clipping. Yeah. And they said no five minutes. Is that what it was? Something like five minutes? Yeah, something really cool, like three to five minutes. It was super easy. It was super easy. So I wrote up like three to five minutes, bullshitted my way through it. And I was like, this was great. It's an open mic. There's not a ton of people. So I would just do that once in a while. I still didn't put put it together that like, oh, if you do this a bunch of times, you get the experience and you develop a voice and you write more material and you're a comedian. Like I didn't put that together. I was just like, "Oh, that was fun." I'll just do three to five minutes every couple months. Yeah. <laughs> and then my mom also sent me a clipping for auditions for a local, like the local theater company in Riverside was doing um, a Christmas Carol. And I went. My mom's like, "You should audition for this." And I went. I was like, "That was terrifying to me." Auditioning had, for a real yeah, audition, actor audition. Yeah, I had no experience. I just show up at this theater. Every stereotypical theater snob you can imagine was there. And it's like, you know, it's like local, like community theater people. You right. Know? And uh, I was given some sides. I don't even remember what I read for. And then the director called me that night. She's like, you were great. She goes, I want... I, I don't want you to do that part. That part was, she's like, I want you to be Jacob Marley, who's like the first, he's like uh, Scrooge's well, dead partner. Yeah, it's a big part. Yeah, that was my first acting gig. And I was like. What year? 98 or 99. And did you kill it? Did you love it? Did you did you feel I loved like, it. I you, loved it. You loved it. You yeah. love going on stage every day. I you love interacting with the audience. Sorry, or, could you say that again? Who's that? It's Siri. I don't know why she does this. Siri, shut up. Hey, Siri, shut up. By the way, see, I did see, this once. We didn't once. even say Siri, and she just started talking. By the way, I once said, Alexa, was Hitler a good man? And Alexa said something in a kind of a roundabout <laughs> way. On who you kind of, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like, really? Yeah. It was, <laughs> but I'm sure it was a mistake. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. 
Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And, I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy, oh, the weeks where I miss a session, of course, yeah, yeah, it's just it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up, and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small, and at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. I got found- Rocket Money. <laughs> Okay, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming de- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Senolytic. Let me tell you something. If you haven't tried this, you are missing out. I just sent this to my mom. I have it. I use it. It's a product that I didn't, I, they weren't even my sponsor when I was using this. And I was like, wow, why do I have more focus or energy? Why do I feel better? Why do I feel different? It's because I take Qualia Synaletic, Neurohacker. Look, if someone would have told me, Ryan, 
that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months. I wouldn't have believed it, but uh, I tried quaiocinolytic, and the rest is history. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they're old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, quaiocinolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And... You just take it two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And Neurohacker Quiacinolytic has a 100-day money-back guarantee. Oh, I have, I have more energy. Uh, I feel younger. Uh, I'm more productive. I will tell you that. I'm more productive. And uh, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic about my life. I definitely feel that, and uh, for me, the aches and pains are less lessened by this, so that is a real important thing for me. Help resist aging at the cellular level, folks. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside. Neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code INSIDE at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Um, all right, so you're doing this. You do the play, you like it. Yeah. You're done with the band at this point. No, I'm still doing the you're band. You're still doing the, the band. band. went off Now you're college. acting and you're starting to do stand-up comedy. Yeah. So you're doing all these things and you're having a good time, but you're not making a lot of money. It, no, no, it's mo- and it's mostly band stuff. And when I first come to LA, I'm working at Starbucks, and then I start taking classes at the Groundlings. That's that all the music stuff stopped. And I had a teacher, Melanie Graham, who was in the main company at the Groundlings, amazing woman. She was like you don't want to be working at Starbucks, do you? And I was like, no, fucking, of course not. But I got a bill to pay. She's like, she was a writer on The Real World. Right. A story editor. And she's like, I can get you a job at Buna Murray. It'll be like watching videotapes and entering info. And I was like, yeah, I'll take it. And that's what got me into reality TV. And I would uh, every now and then through the groundlings get an audition for like a commercial. Were you pretty happy at this point? Were you? Uh- yeah. You yeah. are. It was a good part of your life. I met people at the Groundlings that I'm still super incredibly tight with. People who've I've worked with now who um, are now like huge stars, and like we were just kids in our twenties. Who are those people? Like Maya Rudolph and I were in. Oh, you're close with Maya Rudolph. Yeah, Maya and I were in classes. I I have a photo I'll show you of me and Maya sitting on stage at the Groundlings, and we look like. 15 year olds we look like babies wow and um yeah will forte was there when i was there um and you went through the whole program i did the all the classes now you do all there's a a basic class and it's just improv that's what i took then there's an intermediate class which is just improv then there's a writer's lab which they teach you how to write sketches and the writer's lab at i think six to twelve weeks of doing it you put on a show of the sketches you've written. 
And then. And you did that. Did that. Great. Loved it. Mike McDonald was my teacher. From it Mad- came from some no. back in a Different, long ago. I should say Mike. Yeah, Michael McDonald. He yeah, was uh, on Mad TV. Um, he was my teacher. And then Mindy Sterling was my advanced teacher. Ah. And um, then for advanced, you do improv and sketch comedy. You write for six weeks, do a show. Write for six more weeks, do a show. And the Groundlings main company members have to come and watch both your shows. And then they vote like, yeah, let's move them up to the Sunday company where you do shows every Sunday. And okay. I did not make it into the Sunday company. And you I didn't. was crushed because you were in with all these people. They liked you. You're friends with them all. You're working oh, hard. I you're- was working at the theater. Also at this point, I was working in the box office. I was videotaping shows. I was, <clears throat> that theater was my life for like four years. Do you know who rejected you? No, but let me tell you this. I don't know if this is this is how it happened, but so they have to vote on you. The only company members that can vote are ones that have seen both the advanced shows. The night of our second show, there was a bomb threat on Melrose Avenue, and we had to cancel the show and reschedule it for the next night. Most of the company members couldn't come the next night. So I think... Only like two or three people voted on our shows. And I think there were people that were not thrilled with the fact that I was a student, but already hanging out with everybody backstage and like too familiar. That's what I think. And you were crushed. Crushed. I had no other plans. I was like. So what did, what did you do from there? I mean, what can you do at that point? I just kept working in reality TV. But Groundlings kind of, it was, that was over? It was done. I mean, I was. Couldn't you go back and try again? No, no. What? It was like, you've done the whole program. There's no need for you to do it again, Steve. Sorry. Good luck. You because you asked. Yeah, I was just crushed. Ugh. Mindy, who called, had to call me to tell me. I was the last person in the class that she called because she was dreading it. Called me crying. She knew how fucking much it meant to Ugh. me. And did you cry? Oh yeah, yeah. I had to get off the phone really quick because I didn't want her to hear me cry. Okay, great. Like, Thanks yeah, so much. Yeah, okay, cool. Thanks, Mindy. Hung up and I was like <sighs> sobbing. I was like, what do I... And the next day I woke up and I was like, I can't go to the Groundlings to hang out or watch shows. What the fuck do I do? So I did show... Like my class, we did shows like on Theater Row on Santa Monica Boulevard. Like Maya and myself and So you'd still people. do shows? <clears throat> Yeah, but just not at the Groundlings. But I think they really liked me there. And so every now and then they would do these benefit shows at the Groundlings called The Trash Show. And it was a show they'd do like once a year. All the all the proceeds would go to repairs on the, the, the theater and stuff like that. And The Trash Show, it's called Take Out the Trash, I think is nothing but politically incorrect sketch comedy. The worst, most horror... If you can imagine it, it's 10 times worse than what you can imagine. Like it wouldn't go today. It wouldn't fly today. I think they still do them. It probably... Offends a lot of people. It would offend a lot of people. And most of the people that went to these shows were just students. (laughs) Like, because they would find out they're doing a trash show, tickets are going on sale tomorrow. They'd sell out in like two minutes. So it was mostly students. Right. Um... And, I, and they would let me come do those shows. So Maya and I would write a lot of 
fucked up sketches for that for those shows right and that kind of kept me going a little bit right but you probably because i know you and i have talked about this we will take a sip of your coffee for okay thank you but i know like we both you know we've had a little depression in our lives sure anxiety in our lives when did the first depression or anxiety start hitting you high school high school you started dealing with that yeah i got sent to military school i got kicked out of high school and my parents didn't know what to do to me do with me or to me i i had a little taste for the booze in high school i loved when i was a freshman two seniors took me out and got me drunk and it changed my life it made me not shy i'd talk to girls i would kiss girls i was like alcohol is amazing and i really took to booze and like i became an alcoholic i don't want to say alcohol because I literally stopped when I was like 18 or 19. It was like, I think I'm done. And I never had an urge. Really? I just knew that when I was a teenager and shy and terrified of talking to people, that got me through it. But I really leaned heavily on it. And so my parents didn't know what to do with me. So they sent me to military school. Ooh. The school where they filmed TAPS, Valley Forge Military ah. Academy wayne pennsylvania and um they straighten you up straighten you out you know in high school i was i favored the booze when i went to military school (laughs) you're subject to daily inspections because it's like the military right and so it became a lot easier to hide drugs in your oh so you started doing drugs in military school yeah mostly like weed and like mushrooms right and stuff you weren't like powdering it. your nose or anything no right. i tried all that stuff but it, i didn't like it i liked hallucinogenics and we i loved weed and right you know hash <laughs> <laughs> um but uh i remember specifically one day in military school i was walking down the hallway in the dorm Two of my friends were wrestling. They were play wrestling. And one of them, one of the guys lifted up the other one off his feet, and they both fell backwards. And one of the guys hit his head on the corner of a cinder block doorway and split his head wide open. And I can still see it to this day in my head. Like, you know, barracks and stuff in the military, it's all that lime green. So... I just remember the stark contrast of bright red blood coming out of this guy's head onto a lime green floor. Like it is burned into my mind. And later that night I was at dinner and I was eating my food and all of a sudden I couldn't swallow. Like, and that's not a a memory reflect. That's like an involuntary, like it's like breathing. You shouldn't have to think. Right. You don't think about swallowing. And all of a sudden I couldn't swallow. And I was trying to make myself swallow, and I couldn't. I was having what I later, years later, figured out was a panic attack. It just, that's how it manifested. And you think it was because that triggered it, seeing all the blood and everything? That's what triggered it? I think that that, at 17 years old, was the first time I realized, oh, I'm going to die someday. And it doesn't matter if I'm 80, which I hope that's, you know, much later. I hope I die when I'm much later. But I could die when I'm 17. And it really kicked everything off for me as far as my big problem has always been uh, panic and anxiety disorder. Right. 
mixed with some depression and it started there 17 yeah. and so it worked its way through so did you get did you end up getting there go to therapy and get on anything or you fought through it not until i was 30 i didn't start therapy 30 I 30 i thought i was losing my mind my whole teenage and college i i understand that. i didn't know that this was common my girlfriends didn't know that i had this shit going on panic attacks because i was really good at hiding it um, I once had a panic attack. This was in college from a 30 minute flight from Sacramento to Burbank with my girlfriend from her parents' house. And I climbed over the seats as we were taking off. I was freaking out. So I thought I was having a heart attack. Climbed over the seats. My girlfriend's like, what are you doing? I was like, uh, I think I'm going to shit my pants. I, I didn't have to take a shit. Did and the I, whole plane hear this? Yeah, but when you're having a panic attack, you don't care. You don't care about anything. And I just made a beeline right to the bathroom, and I stayed in the bathroom the entire flight until I felt us touch down. And this, the flight attendants were like, hey, sir, I was like, I cannot come out. And they can't make Did you say you're having anxiety attack? No, because I didn't know it was an anxiety attack. You didn't attack. know it was. I anxiety. thought I was dying. And this was happening all the time and you're 30 years old and still not understanding what's going on at that on. point i was about 24 but oh, this was going on and then i remember talking to a friend you know i'd been at um house of pies this was like when i was like 29 or 30 and uh what's house of pies it's that restaurant on Verm oh yeah, Vermont, yeah, 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 yeah you know it's okay. like a denny's type. right right um and i was with some friends having dinner and I had a panic attack. And I immediately just, and I never explained it to my friends. I would just get up and leave. And they'd be like, uh, so where are you going? Cold. And I was, I would just bolt. And later I'd be like, oh, I, I, uh, I forgot something in my car. You know, I would just make up an excuse. Done that. And it was always believable. And, um, and the next day I was at a friend's house. And I go, last night, I go, I was in this fucking restaurant. I, I thought I was dying. My heart was racing, and I started sweating. And as soon as I left the restaurant, it stopped. And he goes, uh, yeah, idiot, that's a panic attack. And I go, what? He goes, that's a panic attack. He goes, I get them all the time. I was like, what? And then once I started talking about it with him, I immediately felt a lot better. And I started asking all my friends. I was like, do you get panic attacks? Uh, Yeah. And Everyone. many of them had one. Yes. I that does feel good when you know that you're not alone. That's oh a huge thing. Oh, my God. I I hate that any of my friends have to deal with it. Yep. I called you about yeah. Yeah. my anxiety. But I also love that I'm not alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And And it wasn't until I was about in my 30s, and I, I, I think I was 29 or 30 when I got booted out of Groundlings and my girlfriend at the time was like, you got to go see a therapist. And I was like, why? I have the best life. I go, I have great family. I'm awesome. My parents are great. I go, it's just this groundling thing. She's like, go. She's like, I'm sick of listening to you complain about this. Uh, I did it to humor. I went to a therapist. I made an appointment. I sit down in the chair. I'm thinking, this is going to be bullshit. She comes in. She's like, hey, Steve, uh, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And I... I'm like, hey, and she's like, how do you feel about all this? I was like, I think it's pretty pointless. 
I go, everything seems great, you know, other than, you know, Groundlings kicking me out. And she goes, what, what's your family like? I immediately just started bawling. Like, what? It literally, I was just like, uh, and it, I, it, the hour went by so fast. I was like, can we do another hour? Can we just keep talking? She's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Just come back next week. Why did you get so emotional about your family? I don't remember, but it was like, just somebody asking me about myself and you know ah. me being forced to talk about shit like was just opening a floodgate and i saw this therapist for years and years and years really helped you helped me tremendously didn't help with the panic attacks i mean a little bit she gave me like breathing exercises and stuff but it was it was after i quit reality tv and i quit like i had a panic attack in when i was working on joe millionaire and i just walked out of the office never went back they were calling me they're like hey are you coming back and i just wouldn't answer the phone i didn't leave my house i was living with like three people in a house didn't walk out my door for like months i was too afraid to i, I would have panic attacks every time i left and one night i went to a 7-eleven at three in the morning because if I had to leave to get food or money, I would do it in the middle of the night because I didn't want to be around crowds. And I remember going to a 7-Eleven just to get something to eat. And I drove up into the parking lot and I look in and there's one person in there shopping. And I couldn't get out of my car until they left the building. Are you serious? I was so, I and then I was like, oh, I have a huge fucking problem. And I started crying. I called Sarah Silverman, who I had met, you know, a few years earlier. And she's like, dude, this is completely normal. She goes, no, it's not. No, she goes, millions <laughs> of people suffer oh, yes. from this. <laughs> this is normal. No. Everybody waits for the deal. last guy to leave the 7-Eleven. <laughs> Once he's out, you're, it's good. That's what we all experience that. Mm -mm. No, but I, I understand what you're saying. She goes, you're having a panic attack. She's like, that's normal. She goes, you need medication. She's like, I think, she's like, do you see a therapist? I go, yeah. She's like, you need medication. And she gave me the name of her doctor and took everything I had to drive in the middle of the day to an office in Century City <laughs> and sit in there and talk to this woman. She prescribed me Lexapro. And I started taking Lexapro. And I was helped. a little tired for a few days, but within two weeks, I was like back going out doing stand-up changed your life changed my life this was like 2002 or two you still on lexapro yeah stayed it on it since then if it ain't broke don't fix it i i it's working so you really don't get depressed all that much i mean we all get depressed i get when normal depressed like you know i'll get sad but stuff. she didn't give you anything for the anxiety she gave you things for the depression lexapro is it's use, both it's for anxiety disorder it is and depression okay i've never taken that one yeah it's good wow <laughs> another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So, so Sarah Silverman got you saved my life, saved your life. You also did a show with career wise and emotionally career wise. Why did you, why did Sarah Silverman save your career? After I had quit, after I quit reality TV, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to go back to working in a coffee shop. Um, Sarah and I had gotten on medication. Sarah called me one day and said, Jimmy, she was dating Jimmy Kimmel at the time. She's Mm -hmm. like, Jimmy's doing a, a talk show now she goes they they don't even have a name for this position but they need someone to do research to just watch tv and find funny clips from to make fun of in the monologue i was like i'll take that i'll sit in an office and watch tv for 10 hours a day so i did that that was kind of miserable just because you're watching you're watching The View. You're watching uh, The 700 Club. TV you wouldn't watch. if Yes, you're looking for funny things to make fun of, you know. Uh, um, you know, Home Shopping Network, stuff like that. Right. That's what I was doing, and it was driving me crazy. I couldn't watch TV when I got home at night because I just didn't want to. But I stuck around because I wanted to be a writer. I was like, I think I can be a writer. And I let Jimmy know, and as soon as there was an opening like he made me a writer like he was the best wow he seems like a good guy i don't think we had a very similar sense of humor i think i was probably on my way to being fired you know i would pitch a lot of stuff that dark did. yeah or just like really out there like out just like weird weird sketch ideas and stuff and he's like well. no and i think i was on my way to being fired um, but then Sarah got her, the Sarah her Silverman program. Yeah, her pilot for Comedy Central. She wrote a part for me. That happened, and I quit good Jimmy's show. show. Um, you know, all on good terms. I still love Jimmy; he's the best. And um, how long did you do the Sarah Silverman <clears throat> program for? From like 2007. I think we shot the pilot in 2006. Yeah, picked up early 2007, I think, and we shot until like 2010. Wow, so it was a yeah, pretty good run. Like three seasons, yeah. And you got paid a lot of money. <laughs> no. Comedy Central. <laughs> they don't pay anything. The worst, the worst as far as money. They, they don't pay anything. Yeah. But I was able to make a living, you know, and make a show with all my friends. I was friends with all those people through Sarah already, and it was... That was my first like acting, real acting job, and I was like, "Oh, this is easy." Really, I'll just do a show with your friends. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's the life, isn't it? Then when it ended, it's like, "Well, I guess I'm a character actor, and I'll do an occasional, you know, episode of New Girl and stuff." (laughs) Which you did, which I did, and I did it for years and years. I mean, it's how how much of a a struggle is that being a character actor, kind of. Because you were sort of like for a while dependent on your next job. Like you were, yeah. it wasn't like you were sitting there with riches going, oh, no, I don't no, have to worry no. for three years. You were thinking like, I can get by for another two months. Yes. And, and it was, 
I did all right at it as a character actor um, because a lot of those jobs turned into recurring parts. You know, like I had a recurring part on New Girl, um, You're the Worst, Superstore, um, Speech. There was a point not not too long ago where I was recurring on like four or five different shows. So I'd do three episodes of Superstore, three episodes of New Girl, a couple episodes of Year of the Worst. So it was like, it was pretty good for a couple of years, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. were you at this point happy? Would you say? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you were? Yeah, yeah. Because you hit a lull after that, right? Yeah, peaks and valleys. There were There would be times where it was like, I'm glad I'm living in an apartment with low rent because uh, this is getting a little dicey. <laughs> right. And then you, yeah, you do like th- 10 episodes of, you know, three different shows. And you'd be like, oh, I guess I'm good for the rest of this and year. Did it's, you have an, did you have an agent who stuck with you for all these years? Or did you kind of bounce around? I had a, ma- I have a manager that I've been with for quite a while and she's been great. And she's, you know, she's left different places that she's been with and I've always gone with her and I'm still with her and she's great. You know, you you did what was it, Guardians of the Galaxy Two, James yeah. Cashew in, in Guardians of the Galaxy Two. So we, you were, we did. We did. I was in that too. Yeah, we, we were in the We were in together. that together. We were also in the movie Hit and Run together. Yeah. Dax's movie. No scenes together though. No scenes together. So Dax done- puts me in like everything and it's but it's always like the mechanic or, you're the uh, idiot who comes in and says one dumb thing and yeah. as he drives away in his hot rod <laughs> right right <laughs> you know? but you know there you go yeah uh I, I appreciate it so what was that like did you have to audition for guardians or did james just say hey you want to play this character no he was just like it's a small part it's you're a ravager james likes to work with his friends as, as you know yeah. you know he's you know he may not always cast his friends as like big huge parts but like he he'll fill a movie with like his friends in smaller parts here and there, and it's. I just remember being on set of Guardians Two, and you were doing some scene, and he was like, "Ag, just uh, do, do it like this, say it like this," and you're screaming and you're yelling, and he's just adding, he's trying to find funny stuff that yeah. you can do, extra things that you can yeah. do to just. I think know. when we were doing Guardians Two, when dailies would go out to like Kevin Feige and them. I don't even know if that's how that would work, but they would see footage and they liked you. They were like, this guy's really funny. So I was supposed to die in that movie. You know, the scene (laughs) at the end where, where Michael Rooker kills everybody with his arrow. Yeah. And so we did that much later. Like I shot most of my stuff when we did the stuff with you. And then I came back like three months later to shoot just my death scene. And we shot it. And then James was like, I want to shoot something else just to make, just have footage. So in case we want to, you're still alive. And so we just shoot a really quick scene of me on the ground crying (laughs) that I've been stabbed and that my beer has exploded. And that was it just to have, you know, in case he wanted to use me again. Doesn't that feel good though? Feels great. Feels great. He was going to do it in a, a a post credits scene, you know, how they had like three or four scenes during the credits. And he's just like, that didn't make sense, man. Yeah, so he used my scene in the end credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, from there, he cast you in Suicide Squad. Yeah. Now, you have a part. You play the same character that you do in Peacemaker, right? Is it the yeah. same character, Economist? John, John Economist, yeah. John Economist. John Economist. Who comes up with the name Economist? 
Well, John Ostrander came out. He's an actual comic book character. Oh, he is? Yeah. Oh, boy, I should know that. People are probably screaming at me right now. No, John Ostrander came to set um, to visit, and James introduced me. He's like, he's like, Steve, this is John Ostrander. He created the Suicide Squad. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I, it's great to meet you. And, and James is like, Steve's playing. Um, he's, is, is that my watch? No, it's not your watch. Okay. It's my cuckoo clock. I got so scared. No, embarrassed. Right. No, don't be embarrassed. He, I should be embarrassed. He goes, Steve's doing motion capture for King Shark, and he's doing John Economist. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, you look like the real John Economist. And James and I were both like, what? And he goes, oh, yeah. He's like, I based the co- the comic character off a friend of mine. I was like, oh. So there was a real guy named John Economist. Do you think that helped you in um, him casting you in Peacemaker? Yeah, maybe. Because the part... John Economist is not a big part in Suicide Squad. No, it's very you know, one, it's funny. One, one dimensional. You got a kind of a one line here, one line there. Yeah. And, you know, you're doing that and you're also standing in for King Shark. Yeah. Now, how hard is it to stand? First of all, being a stand in alone, I see how many hours they're on their feet. How exhausting is it to be a stand in for King Shark? It wasn't, it technically wasn't stand in, it was motion capture. Um, they had a stand-in that would, when they were lighting and stuff, there was a, a guy, I wish I could remember his name. He was great. He would stand, big dude who would stand there. But I was just like, I was there for reference. So the actors had somebody to look at and I could do, you know, scenes with them. And uh, it was actually a blast. I, I hope to God they use King Shark, you know, if there's not, if there's not another Suicide In Peacemaker? Squad, that would be amazing. But if there's not another Suicide Squad movie, you know, the characters, at least now in the DC world and, you know. Were you uh, being considered to voice King Shark at first in the beginning? No, it was when James asked me about it. Because I read for it many times. He was, James was like, I, he's like, I want you to do what Sean does for Rocket. You know, Sean's motion capture. He's like, I want you to do that for King Shark. He's like, I need somebody funny. He's like, I need someone big, and I'm like James's tallest friend, so it just made sense. It was never brought up me See, doing right. the voice. We never even talked about it. In fact, we did the table read, and at the table read, we'd never discussed what his voice was. And it wasn't until we were starting, and I'm sitting there with like Idris on one side and Margot Robbie on the other, and I was like super nervous. And I, as my first line is coming up with, I was like, I don't know. What to I do. don't know what this fucking guy sounds like. And so I did it like me read. I did it like ominous and deep and scary, and which works because he's a big shark, right? And so after it, then, once we started rehearsals, James was like, "That's not working." He's like, "He's like, he's just a big goofy." English isn't his first language. He's kind of slow. He, and then at one point, he goes. He's like, think Stallone. He's like, like, like a slower down version of Stallone, like Stallone, but trying to find the words. And I was like, so I, me do this the whole. T-. So I was doing an impression, my impression of Stallone the whole right. time. He didn't know they were going to use Stallone, but I knew. I was like, you know, especially towards the end, Peter Safran was like, just so you know, they're they're reaching out to people to you know audition for the voice. I was like. Yeah, I figured. I I go, yeah. Um, But in my head, I was like, 
Why don't they offer it to Stallone? That's, because it's a million dollar role. That that's probably what they were considering. Is like this is expensive, but but, but it's also DC and and it's also it. James Gunn and he knocked it out of the park with Guardians. So I, I think I, DC is like exactly we got to trust this guy. So I was never shocked that it was Stallone. I I re you know I met him when we did that stuff on Guardians, but there's no way he would remember me. But I met him at the premiere for Suicide Squad, and I, I just fucking walked right up to him. I'm like, Sly. I go, I go. I'm Steve. I did all the motion capture for King Shark. He's like, Oh my god, hey, he's dude, like, that must right. have been rough all that running around. He's like, you, you did a great job. And I posed <laughs> for some photos with him, and I was like, That was awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So when did you get the call? from james saying i want you to be this character john economist i want you to bring him back in peacemaker is that what what happened that was i didn't know james was doing it nobody knew james had like quarantine downtime lockdown you know and he just started writing it he wrote eight episodes in eight weeks he just to write and then he went to warner brothers and said hey i had this idea for the spinoff for tv and of course they were like yes okay we'll take it let's do it we'll do the eight episodes and while they were figuring all all that out i guess he was probably fine-tuning it and it wasn't until october of 2020 that he called me he's he's like i didn't want to get your hopes up but he's like but we're going to do a spinoff of suicide squad so you you'll your agents will probably be getting a call soon i was like what but you didn't know how big it was going to be, right? I knew it would be bigger. He's he's like you're you're going to be a serious regular in it, and I was like, did you shit your pants? For so many reasons, yeah. One of just like flattered that he would do this for me. Two, there's a global pandemic. Nobody's working at this point. It's still the first year of the pandemic, so I was happy to have work. You know, I'd been living out of a suitcase and. You know, I didn't find a place to live once I got back from shooting Suicide Squad because the pandemic started. So I was like living on friends' couches. So I was like, oh my God. Well, you also had a really rough year. You lost your mom. My mom died two months into the pandemic. Two months into the pandemic. And you were very close with her. That, that was incredibly rough. Yeah, yeah. She And not COVID. She died of leukemia. Like she was diagnosed just before the pandemic. So she went fast. Two months. She two months di- after she was diagnosed. Two, two and a half months. How fucking shocked and like. Didn't even hit me that that was, that could be a thing. But yeah. I mean, how do you, how did you deal with that? Did you, because you were alone during the pandemic. You're alone. You lose your mom. I get back. We literally wrapped Suicide Squad in Panama end of February. I had two weeks of visiting my mom in the hospital every day while she was doing chemo. Um, and then the lockdown happened and the hospital was like, you can't come and visit her anymore. Jesus. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? I was going to be using all that time to find a place to live, but my mom got cancer. So I had nowhere to live. Um, I called my friend Dave out in Joshua Tree, who's got like a small I remember cabin, him. basically. He's like, yeah, you can stay here. And so I was isolated in, in the middle of the desert calling my mom every day on the phone and listening to her deteriorate and get more and more confused. She got to a point where she was just like, I think they call it chemo brain where she's just like, 
not it's, making sense. It's almost like dementia. Where, and the saddest part of all of it was she's like, how come you're not visiting me? And oh, I was just like, fuck. I was like, mom, there's a pandemic. I, they won't let me into the hospital. And she'd snap out of it and she'd be like, oh, my God. She's like, that's right. Uh, yeah, I forgot. Right. Two minutes later, same phone call. Why aren't you visiting me? Yeah. So the hardest part of all that was knowing that she passed away alone in the hospital and be confused as to why she was alone in her family. So that killed me for like a year, Yeah, you know? Um, and then two months later, my friend Lynn died much younger, not much older than me. And Lynn, who was talking me through, you know, FaceTiming me every day after my mom died, talking me through it. Then Lynn dies and they find out she died of the same thing that killed my mom. Like she what? was just undiagnosed. Lynn was dating Mark Marin, and they were living together during the pandemic. And then she got up one morning, collapsed. They took her away to the hospital. That night she was dead. And it was leukemia. I remember that. And it was just like another, like just, just knife. Dagger, and I was yeah. just like, so the first half of 2020, first half, all of 2020 yeah. was fucking horrible. And then James calls me in October and is like, we're doing Peacemaker. And I was like. And you were rock bottom at this point. At this point, this is the lowest you've been since you can remember. This is the worst year of my life, 2020. Mm -hmm. And then James like completely pulls me out of like a fucking pit. And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right, when are we doing it? And he's like, in three months. Wow. And I was just like, good. Get me the fuck out of here. And that was seven months of getting to hang out with James and Jen and Cena and a lot of work. Yeah, pretty but exhausting it, at times. But it was it's an ensemble, so and they would block shoot episodes, so it'd be like there'd be like two weeks where they're doing all this stuff at a prison, and I'm in none of those scenes. So it'd be like just driving around British Columbia taking photos, right? You know. Yeah, you can look on his Instagram at a lot of those photos that are still there. At Steve Ag. At Steve Ag. Um, you know, I watched the first four. How many have aired at this point? Well, I don't know, but six. they will have all aired by this point. Yes, yeah, six just when dropped. this airs. Yep. Um, I was so happy to see how good you were. Oh, thanks, man. Because you know your friends, you work with your friends, and I always think, oh, Steve's hilarious. I love being around Steve. Yeah. Steve's a great guy. I love him. Steve's you know, a character actor. I only see him one line at a time usually. And now yeah. I see you, and it's like you are going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. There's some scenes with you and, and Cena. I almost said Joe Spina, but uh, <laughs> Cena. <laughs> Let's just start calling Cena or Spina Cena. Spina. called Cena. And, Joe Cena. But seeing you in these scenes, it's just like, and it's not one-dimensional. It's like no, you could see this character's kind of hurt at times. Yeah. Physically as asthma, falling yeah. against the wall and yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. being abused and like getting emotional, yeah. getting hurt, his feelings hurt. Casino's oh. throwing shit at him. Peacemaker's making fun of him, his, his beard being dyed. Yeah. Wait till the finale, dude. I well, don't say anything. No, no, I'm not saying anything, but like there's just a full arc. Like it's a great character. I'm so lucky. I owe James yeah, but, a lot. But you nailed it. Thanks, man. You nailed it. And it's Thanks. just, it, it's so fitting. Thanks. Sometimes, like, you know, there's so many great actors around, but it takes that right role for people to go, oh, oh. you know what I mean? To yeah, realize yeah. how good they are. Yeah. Because a lot of times you're only as good as the writing. You're only as good as the product. It's and also a character that I, that I relate to, a guy who's, you know, can be the butt of people's jokes and is just like, 
doesn't want to go outside of his comfort zone. I'm very comfortable at home at the computer. Like, like economists is at his computer. That's where he's doing his best. But, you know, I long to go out and be adventurous. And, you know, economist gets to go out and kill things and people and shoot. <laughs> Do you know my favorite moment? It's one of my favorite moments. And it's such a nuanced little thing. It's the first time you kill someone or you think you killed someone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember? Yeah. And you hit him with this pipe. Yeah. And then you repeatedly. Kinda, and then you, the first time, but you kind of run away a little bit because you're oh, a little yeah, scared. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're thinking yeah. he, he might come back and kick your he ass. He beat the shit out of Cena. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah. he, he could annihilate me. And then me. you keep beating him and you're like, yeah. Yeah. And you're just so excited about this and you just really kicked ass. John Economist, motherfucker. John Economist, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, these are some questions. This is called Shit Talking with Steve Agee. These are my okay. patrons. Oh, okay. Lovely patrons who help the podcast uh, in Good. so many ways. Great. Patreon.com slash inside of you if you want to uh, help the podcast. Are these insiders? Is that what you call them? I call them patrons. Okay. I could, I could call them insiders. Why haven't you? I'm going to write that down. <laughs> right. hey, 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 thanks for listening, insiders. We got a new episode. <laughs> Leanne, what is your dream role or project next to Peacemaker? I mean, that's it literally is what I'm doing right now. I, I can't imagine. I would love to do a Western. Can I would love a, to. Can do, you do a country accent? A little Southern? Well, shit, man. I, th I think I could fucking do it, you know? I think I'll fucking. <laughs> you could do it. I'll, you, you I'll just shoot did it. some motherfucker. I'll shoot some motherfucker. Right I would love to do a Western. I'd love to do a war movie. The thing is, now I'm in my 50s now. I'd have to be like. A colonel or a, like i couldn't be like saving private ryan like a young recruit that's all right colonels are yeah. colonels could be cool but i'd love to do a war movie emily asks what was your favorite outside dave moment from new girl um probably actually this my outside dave's second episode because usually outside dave is like He's the button at the end of a scene. I I would never work for more than two hours on an episode of that show. But there was one episode where I'm in the whole episode. Um, and it was directed by uh, by Lynn, my friend Lynn, who is my friend who passed away wow. last year. That's when I met Lynn, uh, Lynn Shelton. Um, that was my favorite outside day because it was like, it was a big part. It, and it was... He was supposed to just be one episode and they liked him and they brought him back. And this was his first time back as a recurring character. Awesome. Dana yeah. S. When you bombed on stage for the first time. <laughs> she was there. What? <laughs> How does she know? <laughs> what did you do? Were you prepared for the bomb? No. Nope. I. <laughs> this is great because I had done a show. We were doing Sarah Silverman's show. Program. Sarah Silverman's program. <laughs> and. <laughs> She, because of the show, she would do a lot of college gigs, you know, like pretty big, like theater college gigs. We did a show in Stanford and I would go and open. I, my first time opening for her was in Stanford and she was like, you want to come open for me? And I was like, she goes, you have to do 20 minutes. And I go, I, I, I have, I can do five minutes. And she's like, just, just go out and fuck around. Oh, she goes, no, you have all these dumb little short films that you make at home. She's like, put them on a DVD and we'll just, you come out and introduce them and talk about them and that'll be 20 minutes. I was like, oh yeah, okay. So we go to Stanford and 
we're walking into a 2000 seat theater. Ooh. I am immediately have diarrhea. I'm so oh, terrified. Yeah. I've had diarrhea from that. And, and the, the, the house manager is like showing us back to the green room. And I go, who would I give this DVD to, uh, to show some stuff? And they go, Oh, we don't have a DVD player. And Sarah just starts laughing and she's like, you better think of some shit to say. And I was just like, so we go and we're like there two hours early what? and Sarah's just on her phone and on her computer and not, not worried at all. And I am sitting in the corner like going, um, what's funny? What can I talk about? And what? And I go out on stage in front of 2000 people. I don't bomb. I go out and I start just riffing, like making fun. Of, there's nuns sitting in the front row. I start talking about them. Everyone is dying. Because I'm on TV and they've seen me on Sarah's show. I'm like, yeah, it's the guy from Sarah. So they're laughing. Anything I say is hilarious. I and you don't think you're that funny. No. And I'm like, now I'm like super cocky. I, I can't go to sleep that night. I was on such a high. The next night, I have a show at the Improv here on Melrose. And I'm like, I this is going to be fucking easy. I go, that was 2,000 people. Improv, what, 200 people maybe? I go in there, walk out on stage, say the exact same thing. I wish I could remember what it was that I did up at Sarah's show. Silence. 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 Luckily, no one was heckling, but it was silence. I go, hmm. they must not watch the show. I'll go on. And I say the next joke or whatever. Fucking silence. Boom. Flop sweat. I am now... Just like that, covered in sweat. I'm like short of breath. Do they know this? I don't know. Do they know you're struggling? They probably don't. They could probably see me sweating, but I I probably don't look scared. But I sped through what the night before I did in 20 minutes. I sped through it in like maybe seven minutes, and I was off. I was off the stage, and I was like, Wow, that was that was the worst thing I've ever done. Did you never want to go on stage again? I didn't for a long time. I was like, oh, I need to write more. I can't do this. It's, I'm not Robin a, Williams. It's terrifying. I you really to have to work at it. Yeah. It is absolutely terrifying. Even yeah. like when you're doing really well and then you say a joke and then it doesn't land. Even one joke after you're killing it. It can just throw can you just off. just throw you off. Yeah. Um, yeah, and doing twenty minutes, twenty five. I've I've done twenty five minutes before, and I only had done it for like yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it's, I can't explain it. It's it is terrifying. I always feel like I, I'm not kidding, not to be graphic, but I had I take like ten shits before I go on. Oh yeah, and I'm like, when will this go away? And Swartzen's like, never. You'll shit forever. I did a tour with Tig Notaro, and it was like dry, Tig and Martha Kelly from Baskets, and. We were just driving around up the West Coast, you know, to Washington and down. We were just doing all sorts of shows. But we were doing shows that we booked on MySpace, and we were doing shows at people's houses. People would hit us up, and we'd come to their house, pass around a bucket for tips. And they pay you pretty well? And gas money. Some of them paid. We made enough to get to the next gig. Right. And we coined a term, uh, diarrhea arrival, which is you drive up to a house and you see the conditions that you're going to be performing with and you immediately just have diarrhea because you're like, this is going to be fucking horrible. <laughs> so diarrhea arrival was born. <laughs> diarrhea arrival. Yeah. 
Oh man. Well, I'm just so happy that you know things took off for you because it's it's you know there's took so a, many talented people there. There's so many t- talented people out there, yeah, and you're yeah. like, when are they going to get their shot? I was. I just had uh, lunch with Jason Alexander today, name drop. Yeah, yeah. And he was just talking about that. He's like, there's so many. I mean, it's really a yeah. lucky thing. Because yeah. he's like, a dime a dozen for people that are talented. Yeah. But to have that moment, you know. Well, this is my first series regular since Sarah's show ended in 2010. I'm 52. I should have given up a long time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, but you have been working. I have been working. There's been lean times, but I've made a living as an actor. Do you think you would have kept going even if you you didn't get to offer this show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would have kept going? Yeah. Even during the pandemic, all this shit happening, you think you still would have risen to the occasion? Yeah. Rose to the equation? Risen to the occasion? Risen. Risen to the occasion? I rose. Would you rose to the creations? Rose to the Enbaum. Enbaum. Rose Enbaum. Uh, this was a real treat for me. Me too, man. Did you have fun? I had a blast. This wasn't, I didn't, honestly, this is one of the first things I really didn't know what I was going to talk about, but I knew you'd come. Oh, there, there would it. never be dead air between us. Yes. Yeah. Tell the audience what you recently sent me a picture of. I don't remember what I said. It came out of your penis. I'll give you a hint. Oh, my kidney stone yeah. or the stent? This, what was that? Explain what a stent is. So I... It looked like a I've string. I've had kidney to me. stones off and on since you know my my thirties, and um, but I've passed all of them, no problem. I really you know just on my own, drinking water. When I know I have one, I chug water and it flushes it out. I had one that was so large two years ago that they had to do surgery to get it out. They're like, we're gonna go through your penis with a camera and laser. We will find it, pinpoint it, and break it up with the laser. And then we pull it out with this little basket. And um, and then we leave a stent in your ureter. The ureter is the tube. Oh, there it is. Can you see That's that? That's the stent. It's the size of an iPhone charging cable. That was inside of my body. I don't know if you can see it. And they leave it in your ureter because... <laughs> Put it up on the Patreon. Somebody can zoom. Look in how there. horrified I look. You could send it to Jason for B-roll. Just That's yeah. two and a half feet long, curly cues on the end to keep it from falling and out. And they numb your penis so it didn't hurt when they took it out. No, it just feels awkward. But that it that goes in so your ureter doesn't swell shut from the trauma of the surgery and keep you from being able to pee. They say passing a kidney stone is, is equivalent to maybe delivering a child or not not for me no it wasn't bad for you i have a high pain threshold i when i get a kidney stone when it starts to pass oftentimes i'll drive to the hospital in case it gets bad Mm. but i can usually just stay in the parking lot and just kind of walk it off chug water but i want to be near the emergency room just in case in case bad one yeah hey real quick who's uh who makes you laugh harder than anybody else on set who's the one that can break you um cena cena can break you yeah yeah he's broken you before yeah yeah freddie does too freddie plays vigilante also james james will throw we, shit we get to you. points where he starts throwing out alternative lines alt lines and some of the stuff is so funny i can't 
get through it the first time because I'm hearing it for the first time. I haven't prepared. Who's the most professional on the set? Jen is really professional. And so, well, Jen, Danielle, and Chakwudi, who plays Mern, the three of them are like just pros. Flawless, yeah. You love it. You enjoy it. Oh, it makes it. you better. You know, you've worked with people like you've worked with Walken and Oh yeah. It makes you better. It always makes you better. Yeah. What a treat. Well, I, I hope you get many more seasons to come. You deserve it. Fingers crossed. I love you. Love you too, man. I really thanks, thanks I th for having me. Thanks for coming over. You've been doing a lot of press for Peacemaker. Guys, make sure you watch the Peacemaker. It's on HBO Max. Follow Steve Agee. He's a hilarious guy. You're gonna love it. If you haven't seen this, you're gonna love please John. Yeah. Economist. Economist. <laughs> Honestly hilarious. Just Thanks. just wait a couple episodes in until yeah. he starts getting really fiery and barking back at Cena's character. That's right. Peacemaker. That's right. We, we all have our breaking point. We all have our what was that from? I don't know. We all have our breaking point. Was that point break? No. <laughs> it wasn't. Definitely was it? not. All right. Thanks for allowing me to be inside of you today. Thanks, buddy. Mike. You liked this episode. I did. He was a good guy. Yeah. And he's uh he just tells it how it is. You can just tell that this guy's been through a lot, and he just toughs it out. And is that the right word? Toughs yeah. it out. A lot of different chapters in his life. A lot of different chapters. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, wow, he's in his fifties now. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And boom, he he gets a role that finally makes people go, whoa, hey, <laughs> that guy. Yeah, it's amazing how one role can change change your life, and I think uh, Peacemaker really did. Yeah. And I hope it continues for him. So, Steve, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for uh, divulging so much information to uh, Ryan and I. Uh, if you really like the podcast, I urge you to continue listening. Um, I think you'll enjoy other guests. Go on YouTube, uh, leave a review, leave a re review on Apple, uh, Spotify. Um, also, I will be at the uh, – I'll be in St. Louis at a con – May 13th weekend, we're doing the Smallville Nights in St. Louis with Tom Welling, which is a, a two-man show. We improvise and we read scripts from Smallville. And uh, so I'm going to be there. And then I go to Liverpool on the tw for the 21st, that weekend of May. Um, and then June 10th and 11th, I'll be in Metropolis, Illinois. And then the 16th or 17th, I'll be off to Australia, Supernova. So join me at one of these places, at least for the love of God. Come on. You could do it. Meet up with me. Uh, also, the Inside You Online store is available for merch and uh, sunspin.com for band merch um, and Zooming Me and uh, there's Cameo. There's all that stuff. Um, I appreciate you. But most importantly, thank you, all my patrons. Um, join Patreon. Um, it's a way to get back to the podcast. If you're digging it, uh, go to patreon.com slash inside of you. Become a patron. These are the top tier patrons that I read every episode because they're so supportive. And they give a little bit extra to the show, which really freaking helps, Ryan. Helps me. Yeah. Helps me. Helps everybody. Yeah. Happy birthday again, man. Thank you. 34 years old. Yep. Um, got a lot of years left ahead of you, man. A lot of good years. I could feel it. You're yeah. going to have some really good years coming up. Thank you. Appreciate I feel it. that. I feel yeah. it. Yeah, I absolutely feel it for you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, let's just uh, let's just keep living. L-I-V-I-N. G. Uh, I'm going to the beach this weekend if you want to join. We're going Saturday, yeah. a group of us. Nice. Yeah, so if you're around, All right. let me know. Here are the uh, top-tier patrons. I'll read them off. Nancy D, Leah S, Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian, 
H. Nico P. Robert B. Jason W. Kristen K. Allison L. Raj C. Joshua D. CJP. Jennifer N. Stacy L. Jen S. Jamal F. Janelle B. Kimberly uh, E. Correct. Mike E. Eldon Supremo. 99 more. Ramira. Santiago M. Chad W. Leanne P. Janine R. Maya P. Maddie S. Belinda N. Chris H. Dave H. Spider Man Chase. Sheila G. Brad D. Ray H. Tabitha T. Damn, boy. Yeah. Tom N, Liliana A, Talia M, Betsy D, Chad L, Rochelle, Marion, Meg K, Trav L, Dan N, Big Stevie, W, correct, Angel M, Rhiannon C, Corey Key, K, Key, Super Sam, Dev, Nexon, correct, Michelle A, Jeremy C, Andy T, <laughs> give yourself some kudos, uh, Cody R, Gavinator, David C, John B, Brandy D, uh, Vor, Camille S, The, C. Joey M. Willie F. David H. Adelaide N. Omar L. Omar I. Lena N. Design OTG. Eugene and Leah. Chris P. Nikki G. Corey Nicole Patricia. Heather L. Jake B. James B. Bobette. Abel F. Joshua B. Tony G. Megan T. Mel S. Orlando C. John B. Caroline R. Rob E. Paul C. Christine S. Sarah S. Eric H. Spring. And Jennifer R. Those are the top tier patrons. They give back quite a bit to the show, and they uh, top tiers receive uh, boxes from me of merch and a little note every couple of months. And uh, there's other tiers that you can join if you just want to support the podcast. So patreon.com slash inside of you. Uh, um, got a great episode coming up next week, so I hope you guys will stick around. Um, get anything going on, Ryan, you want to talk about? Just the birthday? Uh, that's kind of it, man. Just been thinking about aging and life. Wait till you get to be 50, buddy. Oh, can't wait. You know what it is? It's like, here's my way of kind of rationalizing and, and sort of just putting things into perspective. Hmm. When you're 50, you think, why was I worried about getting old when I was 40? When you're 60, you're going to be, I'm going to be like, God, why don't I just enjoy my 50s? Yeah. I was still young. You just got to enjoy it. it. It all comes down to the just, being present and mm -hmm. just being like, hey, you're 34 right now. You're not even mid 30s. You're below the mid. So it's the end of uh, being marketed towards as a young person. <laughs> it's the 18 to 34 demographic. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like a parent. I'm like, you are also a parent. a parent with two P's. A, a, a parent. A did I do that? <laughs> no. Oh, I thought I did. I was trying to do a homonym. A homonym homonym what's a homonym it's when two words look the same but sound but sound the same but look different look the same but sound As different like a space parent like you're an a parent and you're also a parent you're also oh, a yeah. P -P yeah like principal yeah principal exactly. the principal at the school yes. principal yeah having principles yeah is a homonym the right word? Is it a homonym let us know let us know anyway uh guys thank you for uh making us your choice for podcast we may not have you know every week you might not know a guest but i think you're going to learn something and you'll enjoy it so we hope you stick around thank you very much i am michael rosenbaum i'm ryan tayas from the hollywood hills in hollywood california hollywood california uh, give a little wave ryan we love you and thank you be sure to be kind to yourself be good to yourself thank you for allowing me to be inside of each and every one of you it's a real treat and uh Hopefully you keep coming back and I'll keep coming back. All right. Take care. <laughs> 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.